All right, we're gonna move on to some of the cardiac rehab going on at this point. Uh, cardiac rehabilitation is the process which persons with cardiovascular disease, including but not limited to patients with coronary heart disease, undergo to restore and maintain their optimal physiological, psychological, social, vocational, and emotional status. This is uh, per the American Association of Cardiovascular and Pulmonary Rehabilitation. The, goals, uh, the overall goal is to improve and maintain a good level of cardiovascular fitness, thereby returning the individual to as normal and productive a life as possible. For those able to return to work, you want to return to productive employment as soon as possible and improve and maintain good cardiovascular fitness. And for those unable to return to work, you want to maintain as active a life as possible and establish new areas of interest to improve quality of life. Uh, patient education and re-education and reduction of coronary risk factors are important. The educational program must address reversible causes of ischemia. Dietary counseling and exercise may, may assist in weight reduction. A decrease in dietary saturated fats and cholesterol may help improve lipoprotein levels. Both behavioral modification and the addition of uh, Lipid-lowering agents are, are proven to be beneficial in combination. Tight control of blood sugar and diabetes can achieve improved outcomes for heart disease. People who have not stopped smoking should be enrolled in a cessation program uh, where pharmacological interventions is needed. And barring contraindications, all myocardial infarction survivors should receive a cholesterol-lowering agent in addition to aspirin and a beta blocker. Aspirin reduces the incidence of subsequent um, MI, stroke, and death from cardiovascular disease or causes by about 25% and beta blockers reduce mortality and reinforce um, after myocardial infarction and may be more effective in women than in men. Finally, appropriate treatment of hypertension and uh, with afterload reduction beta blockade and use of antiplatelet agents improve overall survival. So risk factors for coronary artery disease include non-modifiable factors like age, male gender, family history of CAD, and past history of CAD, peripheral vascular disease, or CVA. And modifiable risk factors include hypertension, cigarette smoking, hyperlipidemia, diabetes mellitus, obesity, sedentary lifestyle, and type A personality. Epidemiology. Uh, cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of morbidity and mortality in the United States, accounting for almost 50% of all deaths. Coronary heart disease, with its clinical manifestations as stable angina pectoris, unstable angina, per, uh, angina um, acute myocardial infarction, or MI, congestive heart failure, CHF, cardiomyopathy, and sudden death affects about 13.5 Americans, or 13.5 million Americans. Nearly 1.5 million Americans sustain MIs each year, of which most, um, almost 500,000 episodes are fatal. 50% of myocardial infarction occurs in people under the age of 65. Annually, 1 million uh, survivors of myocardial infarction and more than 7 million patients with stable angina pectoris are candidates for cardiac rehab. As are patients following coronary artery bypass graft, uh, which is approximately 309,000 in um, 1993. A similar number will require angioplasty. Although several million patients with CHD or coronary heart disease are candidates for cardiac rehab services, only 11 to 20% have uh, participated in cardiac rehab programs. Women are referred less to cardiac rehab programs. Survival is improved by cardiac rehab. Patients involved in cardiac rehab after an MI had a three-year survival rate of 95% compared with 64% in non-participants. There's also a significant reduction, about 28%, in risk of recurrent myocardial infarction. The mortality rate for coronary artery disease has fallen 47% since 1963, with 30% of that disease occurring from 79 to 89. The, farming, or the Framingham study credits three factors as playing possible roles in this uh, marked disease um, in those with CAD. Uh, there are modifications of coronary artery disease risk factors like lower cholesterol, uh, better hypertension management, and reduction in smoking. So first is modification of uh, risk factors, then improved treatment methods, and finally improved prevention. Pathophysiology. Uh, the response to injury hypothesis uh, considers atherosclerosis to be a chronic inflammatory uh, response of the arterial wall. The initial insult is uh, injury to endothelium, which results in endothelial dysfunction. Lipoproteins accumulate in the vessel wall and are oxidized. Monocytes attached to endothelium migrate to the intima and transform into foam cells. Platelets adhere and are activated to release factors. Uh, smooth muscle cells proliferate and contribute to uh, an increase in the extracellular matrix. Lipids accumulate in smooth muscle cells and foam cells. And then finally, fibromuscular plaque results, uh, fibromuscular layer with cholesterol core. Uh, the phases of cardiac rehab. This is uh, very important and very testable. 
Uh, phase one is during acute inpatient hospitalization. Phase two is supervised outpatient cardiac rehab lasting three to six months with a maintenance phase in which physical fitness and risk factor reductions are, are, are excuse me, phase three and four are maintenance phases in which physical fitness and risk reduction factors, uh, risk factor reductions are accomplished in a minimally supervised or unsupervised setting. So let's go into that a little bit de more detail. Uh, phase one, uh, inpatient rehab. The stage of rehab can last from anywhere from 1 to 14 days for cardiovascular patients undergoing invasive procedures or suffering from acute events. Secondly is phase 2, which is the immediate um, outpatient period. This period is the convalescent stage followed by a hospital discharge, or following a hospital discharge. The length is uh, partly determined by risk stratification and monitoring need. By definition, this period is the most um, closely monitored phase of rehab. And then phase three and four are the intermediate and maintenance periods. Uh, the third stage of cardiac rehab can be broken down essentially into phase three and four. Phase three of recovery is an extended outpatient period that may be divided into two components, um, intermediate and maintenance. The intermediate stage follows immediate outpatient cardiac rehab when the patient is not intensely monitored or supervised but is still involved in regular endurance exercise, training, and lifestyle changes. The transition to phase four varies according to the individual outcomes and uh, medical uh, needs. So some of the exercise physiology is important to rem uh, remember as well. Total oxygen com consumption, or VO2, represents the oxygen consumption of the whole body. It corresponds to the work of the peripheral skeletal muscles rather than the myocardial muscles. Aerobic capacity, or VO2 max, is a term used to measure the maximum oxygen consumption that an individual can achieve during exercise. As the individual increases the workload as an exercise, the VO2 increases in a linear fashion until it levels off and reaches a plateau despite further increases in workload. This is the aerobic capacity of the individual. It is usually expressed in the milliliters of oxygen consumed per kilogram of body weight per minute. Milliliters oxygen per kilogram per minute. VO2 max provides a reliable and reproducible measure of dynamic work capacity as well as cardiovascular fitness. It provides information regarding prognosis in patients with heart disease and can assist evaluating work resumption after activity. Treadmill or log cycle ergometer testing is uh, primarily used to estimate VO2 max. Then there's myocardial oxygen con consumption or MVO2. Um, it's the actual oxygen consumption of the heart or the myocardial workload. It can be measured directly with cardiac catheterization in a clinical setting. However, the rate pressure produ uh, product, or RPP, uh, can be estimated uh, or can be used to estimate the MVO2 since the heart rate and systolic blood pressure correlate with it. There's the double product, also called the same thing as the rate pressure uh, product, um, refers to the work required of the heart, which closely parallels the syst uh, systolic blood pressure and the heart rate times the heart rate. So the estimated MVO2, again, is the same as the RPP, or the rate pressure product, which is the same as, uh, or estimated by stroke, uh, systolic blood pressure times the heart rate. Cardiac output, or CO, is another one to remember. That's uh, heart rate times stroke volume. And the Fick equation um, is essentially uh, VO2 max, which is equal to the cardiac output times the AVO2 difference. Uh, metabolic equivalent is another one, or a MET. Uh, it's defined as the ratio of working metabolic rate to basal resting or metabolic rate. So one MET is about 3.5 milliliters of oxygen consumed per kilogram of body weight per minute. One MET is also equal to the energy consumed while at a basal metabolic rate, like a seated rest. Uh, Frank-Starling relationship. The Frank-Starling relationship describes the ability of myocardium to increase its force contractility in response to increased stretch or the increased ventricular volume or, um, or increased preload. Uh, placed on it. As a result, stroke volume will increase during the next contraction when venous return is increased. This process is known as the Frank-Starling mechanism, or Stanley's Law of the Heart. It enables the heart to eject the additional venous return, uh, thereby increasing stroke volume. Graphically represented, this is known as the, the Frank-Starling curve. Uh, there's a visualization of it on page 687 in this uh, version of Cucurillo, the third edition. Increased venous filling rate and stroke volume increases venous return and ventricular filling, or the end diastolic volume, and therefore preload, which is the initial stretching of the uh, cardiac myocyte prior to contraction. The myocyte stretches, uh, stretching increases the sarcomere length, which causes an increase in force generation. This mechanism enables the heart to eject the additional venous return, thereby increasing the, the stroke volume. 
So what are the outcomes of cardiac rehab services? The results of cardiac rehabilitation services are based on reports in the scientific literature. The most substantial benefits are improvement in exercise tolerance, improvement in symptoms, improvement in blood lipid profiles, uh, reduction in cigarette smoking, improvement in psychological well-being and stress reduction, uh, reduction in mortality, and safety. So let's go through those in detail. So improvement in exercise tolerance. Cardiac rehab exercise training um, improves objective measures of exercise tolerance in both men and women, including elderly patients with coronary heart disease and heart failure. The improvement in symptoms, uh, cardiac rehab exercise training decreases symptoms of angina pectoris in patients with CHD and uh, decreases symptoms of heart failure in patients with left ventricular systolic dysfunction. There's also improvement in clinical measures of myocardial ischemia as defined by electrocardiogram and nuclear cardiology techniques following exercise rehab. Then there's improvement in blood uh, lipid levels, uh, multifactorial cardiac rehab in patients with coronary heart disease, including exercise training and education results in improved lipid and lipoprotein levels. Exercise training as a sole intervention has not affected consistent um, improvement in lipid profiles. The opti optimal lipid management requires specifically directed dietary and, when medically indicated, pharmacological management as a component of multifactorial cardiac rehab program. Uh, fourth was reduction in smoke, uh, cigarette smoking. Uh, this includes education, counseling, and behavioral interventions uh, that are beneficial for smoking cessation during uh, cardiac rehab. Fifth was improvement in psychological or psychosocial well-being and stress reduction. Uh, the improvement in psychological status and functioning, including measures of emotional stress and reduction in the type A, of the type A behavior pattern. Uh, reduction in mortality. Uh, multifactorial cardiac rehab service can reduce cardiovascular mortality in patients following MI. And safety. The safety of exercise is established by the very low rate of occurrence of myocardial infarction and cardiovascular complications during exercise training. So what are some of the absolute contraindications for um, inpatient and outpatient exercise training? So you have unstable angina, a resting systolic blood pressure greater than 200 or a diastolic blood pressure greater than 110, a significant drop, uh, 20, 20 milligrams of mercury in resting systolic blood pressure from the patient's average level that cannot be explained by medication, moderate or severe aortic stenosis, acute systemic illness or fever, uncontrolled atrial or ventricular arrhythmias, uncontrolled tachycardia, symptomatic congestive heart failure, third-degree heart block without pacemaker, active pericarditis or myocarditis, recent embolism, thrombophobitis, resting ST displacement greater than 3 millimeters as seen on EKG, uncontrolled diabetes and orthopedic problems that would prohibit exercise. Some other things to consider for inpatient cardiac rehab are patients who have had myocardial infarction, uh, cabbage or, angiopla or angioplasty patients, coronary patients with or without residual ischemia, heart failure and arrhythmias, patients with dilated cardiomyopathy, a variety of patients with non-ischemic heart disease, patients with concomitant uh, pulmonary disease, patients who have had or have received a pacemaker or an AICD, uh, patients who have had heart valve repair or replacement, aneurysm, aneurysm, resection, or organ transplantation. So what about inpatient versus outpatient cardiac rehab programs? Inpatient program is, again, strictly supervised inpatient hospitalization lasting one to two weeks, which is phase one. Phase one. Then uh, two would be structured outpatient program with supervised ambulatory outpatient program lasting three to six months, which is phase two. And then a maintenance program, which is minimally supervised or unsupervised setting, which is phase three to four. The inpatient program at 7 to uh, 14 days, the goal of an inpatient rehab program is to provide a coordinated, multifaceted program designed to assist and direct patients and their families early in the recovery process following an acute cardi uh, cardiovascular event. The focus is on the medical care, physical activity, reduction, and psychological issues, or excuse me, education and psychological issues. So the acute period of the coronary care unit, uh, mobilization after cardiac surgery must progress as rapidly as possible to prevent decubitus. Um, pneumonia and thromboembolism. Activities of very low intensity from one to two mets include passive range of motion is about 1.5 mets. Um, upper extremity range of motion is 1.7 and lower extremity range of motion is about two. Um, you want to avoid isometrics because they can increase the heart rate. Uh, valsalvas that promote arrhythmia and raising the legs above the heart which can increase the preload. You want to use protective chair posture um, and can reduce, the, uh, it can reduce the cardiac output by 10%. Uh, bedside commode can cause 3.6 mets uh, versus a bedpan, which can be 4.7 mets. 
So the subacute period, uh, the physical program can become can vary among the institutions. You want to transfer from the CCU to either a telemetry unit or to a medical ward. And activities or exercises of intensity from three to four METs. So you have calisthenics at no, of known energy cost. Range of motion exercises with intensity can be gradually increased by increasing the speed and or duration and may add uh, mild resistance or low weight, like one to two pounds. And early ambulation, starting in the room and then corridors of the ward, treadmill walking at uh, 0% uh, grade, uh, starting at one mile per hour and gradually increasing to 1.5 miles per hour, 2 miles per hour, 2.5 miles per hour is tolerated. And the energy cost of a low-grade uh, low ambulation with one miles per hour on a, tr on a slow stroll treadmill is uh, 1.5 to 2 mets. And 2 miles per hour is 2 to 3 mets. Uh, propelling a wheelchair is about 2 to 3 mets as well. And then you have a serial progression of the uh, self-care activities should parallel the intensity of the monitored uh, program, particularly with earlier hospital discharge. For bypass surgery rehab regimen, it's differentiated into aggressive versus a slow recovery. Um, and there's a nice chart on page uh, 690, figure 9.97, uh, 9 which is activity regimen for patients requ recovering from cardi uh, cardiac bypass surgery. On day zero, on the aggressive activity, you uh, typically dangle once um, after extubation. Um, on day on day one, you would continue to dangle. You also have chair sit for breakfast and walk in place for one minute is tolerated. Uh, you can also consider chair sit to, uh, for lunch, walk in place for one minute, chair sit for dinner, walk to bathroom, and walk width of room with assist. On day two, you consider walk to bathroom with assist as tolerated and chair sit for all meals, as well as walk twice in hallway and complete two rehab sets, eight to ten minutes each with 2.1 mets attained. Uh, for post-op day three, uh, you can take three two to four minute walks with assist and complete two rehab sessions, 10 to 15 minutes each uh, with 3.1 uh, mets attained. And then you can take uh, four to five minute walks on day four with minimal assistance and complete two rehab sessions, 15 to 20 minutes each with 3.7 mets attained, and the patient may be discharged that evening. On the slower to recover, initially on day zero, it's bed rest, uh, followed by uh, transfer telemetry floor in bed with dangle once in the afternoon for 30 minutes and chair sit for dinner as tolerated for day one. On day two, you can have chair sit for meals, walk to bathroom with assist as well tolerated. <clears throat> And complete one set of range of motion exercises with a complete six-minute calisthenics set at 2.1 mets. On day three, you can take two-minute walk, uh, two-minute walks with assist uh, twice, and complete two rehab sessions, six to eight minutes each, with 2.6 mets attained. Attained. On day four, you would take two three-minute walks and complete two rehab sessions. On day five, it would be take three, three four-minute walks with no assistance and complete two rehab sessions, 15 to 20 minutes each. On day six, you complete three five-minute walks with no assist and two rehab sessions again. Um, and then on day seven, you can have independent exercise walks in the morning and patient discharged midday. So exercise testing, let's talk about the different things. You have graded exercise testing uh, or a graded exercise stress test that assesses the patient's ability to tolerate increased physical activity or physical stress. The graded exercise testing may be uh, used for diagnostic, prognostic, and therapeutic application with or without addition of radionucleotide or echocardiography assessment. The cardiac rehab health professionals usually use graded exercise tests as functional rather than diagnostic tools. Uh, these graded, graded exercise testings our tests can also provide useful information when applied to risk stratification models. It also allows the establishment of appropriate limits and guidelines for exercise therapy and the assessment of functional change over time. Submaximal graded exercise tests is recommended for inpatients and prior to outpatient cardiac rehab programs. They may be submaximal or maximal relative to patient's effort in addition to common complications or common indications for stopping the exercise test. Um, the endpoint criteria for submaximal testing may include heart rate limits, perceived exertion, and predetermined MET levels. Most of the ADLs in the home environment require less than four METs. Uh, that's an important thing to remember. ADLs are less than four months, METs at home. The American Heart Association suggests a heart rate limit of 30 to 140 beats per minute for patients not on beta blocker agents or Borg rating of perceived exertion of 13 to 15. And we'll go over that in a little bit as well as additional um, endpoint criteria for low-level testing. The low-level test provided sufficient data to permit most ADLs and serve as a baseline for ambulatory exercise uh, therapy. The frequency of the test should be relative to the patient's clinical course rather than a fixed schedule. So exercise testing with imaging modalities. Exercise cardiography can be combined with EKG um, 
to increase the sensitivity and specificity of stress testing and determine the extent of myocardium at risk for ischemia. Echocardiographic images are obtained while the patient's bicycles are or immediately while the patient's bicycles or immediately after treadmill test. Um, images can be obtained within one to two minutes after exercise. Myocardial contractility normally increases with exercise, whereas ischemia causes hypokinesis, akinesis, and dyskinesis of the affected segments. A test is uh, considered positive if, um, if all motion abnormalities develop in previously normal areas with exercise or worsen in, in an already abnormal segment. The overall sensitivity and specificity of exercise echocardiography range from 78 to 97% and 64 to 94% respectively. The higher sensitivities in patients with multivessel disease, um, or excuse me, with those higher uh, sensitivities in patients with multivessel disease, exercise echocardiography has been shown to be highly accurate in diagnosing CAD in patients in whom there uh, may be an increased incidence of false positive exercise EKGs such as women. Stress echocardiography provides an accurate assessment of CAD and yields important diagnostic and prognostic information in the majority of patients. Exercise nuclear imaging. Um, tests with nuclear imaging are performed in conjunction with EKG monitoring. Thallium or Sestamibi is injected one minute prior to exercise and images are obtained. Perfusion defects uh, that are present during exercise but not seen at rest suggest ischemia. Perfusion defects that are present during exercise and persist at rest suggest previous MI or scar. In this manner, the extent and distribution of uh, ischemic myocardium can be identified. And then you have pharmacological stress testing. Uh, patients unable to undergo exercise stress testing for reasons such as deconditioning, peripheral vascular disease, orthopedic disabilities, or neurological disease can benefit from uh, pharmacological stress testing. Two of the most commonly used pharmacological stress tests include dobutamine stress echocardiography and cestamibi or thallium scintigraphy uh, with dipyridamol or adenosine. Indications for these tests include establishing a diagnosis of coronary artery disease, determining myocardial variability, excuse me, myocardial viability prior to revascularization, assessing prognosis after MI or, or chronic angina, and, or, and evaluating cardiac risk preoperatively. The pharmacological studies are useful in determining the level of risk stratification, particularly as it relates to exercise programs. Exercise testing protocols. There are a variety of exercise testing protocols that are available, uh, whether the test is conducted using treadmill, uh, cycle, or arm ergometer. Lower extremity amputee patients can use arm ergometers. Uh, that's a big one to remember. Treadmill testing provides a more common form of physiological uh, stress, like walking, in which subjects are more likely to attain a slightly higher VO2 max and peak heart rate, so if you can, do a treadmill test. The cycle ergometer has the advantage of requiring less space and generally is less costly than the treadmill. Uh, minimized movements of the arm and thorax facilitate better EKG uh, recording as well and blood pressure monitoring. To perform a stress test in an above-knee amputee, an upper extremity ergometer is, new, is used. Uh, bulk wear protocols uh, that increase metabolic demands by one met per stage are appropriate for high-risk patients with functional capacity of less than seven mets. Um, bruise protocols are uh, those that have metabolic demands of greater than two mets per stage may be appropriate for low to intermediate risk patients with uh, functional capacity of greater than seven mets. So bulk wear less than seven mets is up by as uh, increasing each stage by one met, and the bruise protocols. Um, for those that can attain greater than seven mets, you increase each stage by two mets. The widely used Bruce protocol of two to three mets per stage is useful with stable patients with functional capacities of 10 mets. And pharmacological stress testing in debilitated patients with whom exercise or for whom exercise testing cannot be performed has been used to evaluate ischemia. The data from pharmacological testing cannot be used um, in exercise presumption. There's a chart on page 693, table 93, that shows approximate MET levels for simple exercise testing protocols um, that you can review at your uh, leisure. There are contraindications for exercise stress testing. Absolute contraindications include a recent significant change in the resting EKG suggesting infarction or other acute cardiac event, recent complicated myocardial infarction, unstable angina, 
uncontrolled ventricular dysrhythmia, uncontrolled atrial dysrhythmia that compromises cardiac function, third-degree AV block, acute congestive heart failure, severe aortic stenosis, suspected or known dissection aneurysm, uh, active or suspected myocarditis or pericarditis, thrombophilitis or intracardiac thrombi, recent systemic or pulmonary embolus, acute infection, and significant emotional distress or psychosis. Some relative contraindications include arresting diastolic blood pressure greater than 120 or arresting systolic uh, blood pressure greater than 200, moderate valvular heart disease, known electrolyte abnormalities such as hypokalemia or hypomagnesemia, fixed rate pacemaker, which is rarely used, uh, frequent or complex ventricular ectopy, ventricular aneurysm, cardiomyopathy, um, including hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, uncontrolled metabolic diseases such as diabetes, thyrotoxicosis, or myxedema, chronic infectious disease like mononucleosis, hepatitis, or AIDS, neuromuscular, musculoskeletal, or rheumatoid disorders that are exacerbated by exercise, and advanced or complicated pregnancy. Some indications for stopping an exercise, treadme- uh, an exercise test, um, the AHA the AHA guidelines um, have absolute indications for termination, which is a drop in systolic blood pressure greater than 10, meters, or 10 millimeters of mercury from baseline blood pressure despite an increase in workload when accompanied by other evidence of ischemia, moderate to severe angina, increasing nervous system symptoms like ataxia, dizziness, or near syncope, signs of poor perfusion like cyanosis or pallor, technical difficulties in monitoring electrocardiogram or systolic blood pressure, subjects desire to stop, Sustained ventricular tachycardia and ST elevation greater than or equal to one millimeter in leads without diagnostic Q waves other than V1 or AVR. Relative um, would be a drop in systolic blood pressure greater than 10 um, despite an increase in workload in the absence of other evidence of ischemia. So an absolute would be in the presence of uh, of evidence of ischemia and a relative would be in the absence of that. ST or QRS changes such as excessive ST depression greater than two millimeters of horizontal downplacement um, or marked axis shift arrhythmias other than sustained ventricular tachycardia, including multifocal PVCs, triplets of PVCs, supraventricular tachycardia, heart block, or bradyarrhythmias. Additionally, fatigue, shortness of breath, wheezing, leg cramps, or claudication, uh, development of bundle branch block, or IVCD, that cannot be distinguished from ventricular tachycardia, increasing chest pain, hypertensive response, suggesting definition uh, would be systolic blood pressure greater than 250 millimeters of mercury, and or diastolic blood pressure greater than 115. Additional criteria for stopping low-level or hospital discharge exercise chest would be an exercise uh, heart rate of greater than 130 beats per minute, and a board perceived exer- exertion of greater than 15. Uh, suggest endpoint for criteria for submaximal exercise program would be an appearance of any criteria that indicate ending an exercise test. Exercise heart rate in excess of previous uh, graded exercise test peak heart rate and uh, the Borg uh, perceived activity or perceived exertion uh, greater than 16. So structured outpatient program or maintenance program, and we'll get to the Borg scale in just a minute, um, but first we want to go through the structured outpatient program or maintenance program. Traditionally, outpatient cardiac rehab has been divided into three phases. Again, um, and this is outpatient here. Phase two would be in immediate. Um, we'll define the stage of cardiac rehab that occurs immediately after discharge in which high levels of, res- of surveillance, EKG monitoring, intensive risk factor modification occurs. Phase three is intermediate. It's the period of rehab when EKG monitoring occurs only if signs and symptoms warrant it, although endurance training and risk factor modification may continue. And phase four is maintenance. Um, This is the program uh, that is structured for patients who have plateaued in exercise endurance and achieved stable risk factor management. So physical activity program, um, some of them to uh, some of the things that have met levels here that are good to know. Um, slow walk, uh, two miles per hour is two to three minutes. Regular speed walk is three miles per hour is three to four minutes. A brisk walk can be four to five minutes. A uh, very brisk walk could be five to six minutes. Sexual intercourse can reach three to four minutes. Uh, but also note that the met level for sexual intercourse varies depending on uh, the reference source used. Um, outdoor work like shoveling snow or spade soil, uh, spade, spading some soil can be seven minutes. A jog or a walk can be up to nine minutes. Excuse me, that's a jog slash walk. Mopping the floor inside is two to four mets, and a push power lawnmower can be four mets. Again, those indoor ADLs tend to be more of a uh, less than four mets. 
Um, sport activity uh, with some Mets. Golfing is about two to five. Bowling is four to five. Uh, volleyball can be three to four. Ping pong is three to six. Tennis is four to seven. And roller skating is five to six. The goal in all of this is uh, the improvement of the cardiovascular capacity through physical exercise training, whether in a minimally uh, supervised or unsupervised setting. Some types of physical activities. Uh, you want to begin with the, least, with the last exercise program performed during the supervised cardiac exercise program. Aerobically trained, clinically stable candidates may participate in resistive or circuit training. An overall lifestyle that includes proper diet, weight control, stress management, and smoking cessation should be maintained along with good physical fitness. Active participation within prescribed limits and sport activities encouraged. Uh, sexual intercourse is a special consideration as there can be potential for triggering another cardiac event. It's not recommended following MI for about two weeks. Intercourse is as physically intense as climbing two flights of stairs. Um, intercourse with familiar partners in a known environment requires five METs. Achieving six METs on a stress test without event indicates low risk for cardiac event during intercourse. Uh, slow progression in reestablishing a romantic relationship to foreplay, and then more physically demanding intimacy is encouraged. And you want to reassure that sexual activity with coronary artery disease is relatively safe. A little bit more here, um, we can get into the uh, New York Associ uh, Heart Association Cardiac Functioning Classification. Um, it starts with NA NYHA Class 1. Uh, patient's cardiac disease does not limit physical activity. Ordinary physical activity does not cause undue fatigue, palpitation, dyspnea, or anginal pain. Specific activity scales um, include patients that can perform to completion any activity required greater than or equal to 7 METs, like carrying 24 pounds up 8 steps, carrying objects that weigh 80 pounds, doing outdoor work like shoveling snow or spade, sto spade soil, and uh, doing recreational activities like skiing, basketball, squash, handball, and jogging at five miles per hour. NYHA class two has uh, the patient's cardiac disease results in slight limitation on physical activity. They are comfortable at rest. Um, ordinary physical activity results in fatigue, palpitation, dyspnea, or anginal pain. Specific activity scale, the patient can perform the completion of any activity requiring greater than or equal to five METs, but cannot perform um, to completion uh, of activities re uh, requiring greater than or equal to seven METs. Sexual intercourse to completion without an eruption. Uh, they can garden, rake, and weed. And they can roller skate or walk at four miles per hour or on level ground. NYHA class three, the patient's cardiac disease results in marked limitation of physical activity. Again, they are comfortable at rest still, but less than ordinary physical activity causes fatigue, palpitation, dyspnea, or anginal pain. Specific activity scale, uh, the patient can perform to completion any activities between two and five METs. Um, they can shower without interruption, strip and make a uh, bed, clean windows, walk two and a half miles an hour, bowl, golf, and dress without stopping. And the class four, uh, the patient's cardiac disease results in, results in inability to carry on any physical activity without discomfort. Uh, symptoms of cardiac insufficiency or of angina uh, can be present even at rest. If the physical activity is undertaken, discomfort is increased. Uh, the patient cannot or does not perform to completion activities requiring anything greater than two METs. This includes um, carrying out any of the activities listed in class one to three. So exercise prescription for cardiac patients. Um, exercise for the cardiac patient should be, specify the type of exercise, the intensity, the duration, and the frequency. Types of exercise, um, exercise for cardiovascular conditioning should be isotonic, rhythmic, and aerobic. They should uh, use large muscle masses and should not involve a large isometric component. Sessions of exercise should incorporate aerobic activities such as walking or jogging, uh, stationary cycling or aerobics, or water aerobics. Sessions should also incorporate warm-up and cool-down periods. In addition to aerobic activity, resistance exercise, like using light, uh, light weights, may be added to an, um, on an individual basis. Resistance exercises have been shown to be a safe and effective method for improving strength and cardiovascular endurance in low-risk patients. Surgical and MI patients should wait three to six weeks before uh, beginning resistance training. Patients diagnosed with uh, the following conditions should be excluded from resistance training. That includes CHF, uncontrolled arrhythmias, severe vascular disease, uncontrolled hypertension, uh, systolic greater than 160 and diastolic greater than 100, and aerobic capacity less than 5 METs. The results in increase in, uh, in aerobic exercise of all muscle fibers exercise, both type 1 and type 2 fibers. So type 1 fibers continue to show approximately 5 times the aerobic capacity of type 2 fibers as uh, before exercise. 
With regards to the intensity, it's usually prescribed as uh, some percentage of maximum capacity obtained on oxygen testing, like O2 consumption, heart rate workload, or the uh, degree of exertion. Um, oxygen consumption may have threshold optimum and ceiling. The threshold may be 40 to 50% of the VO2 max or 60% of the heart rate. Optimum could be 55 to 65% of the VO2 max uh, with 70% max heart rate. And the ceiling should be 80 to 90% VO2 max or 90% of the heart rate. For the deconditioned cardiac patient, exercise even at 40 to 50% VO2 max will result in improvement. The target heart rate, um, exercise intensity is based on a patient's target heart rate, which is the heart rate range based on the clearance heart rate. There are three main methods for measuring target heart rate. You have the clearance heart rate method, age-predicted method, and the Carnivan method. The target heart rate is defined as 70 to 80% of the maximum heart rate. Um, so you may make it a 0.7 times the maximum heart rate at the beginning range of the target heart rate and 0.85 times the maximum heart rate for the end range of target. Please note that the clearance heart rate is the clinical maximum heart rate attained on stress test. For the cardiac patient, the maximum heart rate is obtained based on maximum heart rate achieved on the exercise stress test and about 75% or 70% of maximum heart rate attained on exercise stress test. For healthy patients, the maximum heart rate is based on the age predicted formula. <clears throat> um, a simple formula to estimate uh, maximum heart rate for any given age range from 70 to 85% of the adjusted or predicted adjusted maximum heart rate. So the age predicted method would be 220 minus the age. It has the potential for over and underestimating the actual exercise intensity and can place patients with heart disease at risk for exercise induced cardiovascular complications. And lastly, you have the Carvinin method, which uses the, sub the subject potential heart rate increase and assumes that the resting heart rate represents zero intensity. So the target heart rate is 0.7 to 0.85 times the maximum heart rate minus the resting heart rate um, plus the resting heart rate. So it corrects for the non-zero value of resting heart rate. It's useful for those on chronic beta blockade or with abnormally high resting heart rate. So if a 60-year-old patient with a heart rate maximum of 160 and a resting heart rate of 60 beats per minute, you would take their age, the age-predicted method would be uh, 220 minus their age, times 70% uh, or 85% to get their range, which would be 120 or 112 to 136. <clears throat> the Carvinin method would take their max heart rate minus their resting heart rate, so 160 minus 60, uh, plus their um, resting heart rate, and you'd multiply that by uh, 0.7 or uh, 0.85 to get their, uh, their target range. Then you have the ratings of perceived exertion. The Borg rating of perceived exertion scale is a linear scale rating from 6 to 20. This scale is a valid indication of physical exertion and correlates linearly with heart rate, ventricular oxygen consumption, and lactate levels. The new exerciser can proceed with exercise to level 13, which is somewhat hard, um, provided he or she has been given clearance to do so for the exercise stress test. So again, this, ex this, this scale goes from 6 to 20. 6 is no exertion at all, and 20 is maximum exertion. 13, again, is right there in the middle with somewhat hard. Uh, 15 is hard, 17 is very hard, and 19 is extremely hard. The American Heart Association suggests a heart rate limit of 130 to 140 beats per minute for patients not on beta blockade, or a Borg RPE of 13 to 15 as an additional point criteria for low-level testing. The talk test is an informal and subjective method of estimating exercise level. The patient is exercised in an adequate intensity to induce a training effect, but is still able to hold a conversation without becoming excessively out of breath. Then you also have the uh, se several patient rating scales, such as the angina or angina, uh, dyspnea, and intermittent claudication. Um, so this scale here, uh, for angina, you'd you would go from all of these go from one, zero to four, zero being none. Uh, one being light or mild, two being moderate, uh, three being severe, and four being the most. So for, for angina, zero is no angina, one is light or barely noticeable, two is moderate or bothersome, three is severe and very uncomfortable, and four is the most pain ever experienced. For dyspnea, it goes zero is no dyspnea, one is mild but noticeable, two is mild in some difficulty, three is moderate difficulty but can continue, and four is severe, severe difficulty and cannot continue. Then there's claudication. Zero is no claudication or pain. One is initial, minimal, or initial or minimal pain. Two is moderate or bothersome pain. And three is intense pain. And four is maximum pain and cannot continue. So then with the duration and frequency of exercise, um, healthy individuals, uh, the American College of Sports Medicine recommends that in order 
to develop and maintain comprehensive physical fitness, healthy adults need to engage in moderate cardiorespiratory exercise for 30 minutes or more for five days a week, or vigorous cardiorespiratory exercise 20 minutes or more five days a week, um, or a combination of moderate and vigorous exercise to achieve a total energy expenditure of 500 to 1,000 met minutes per week. The resistance and neuromotor exercise involving balance, agility, and coordination two to three days a week should also be considered, and adults can benefit from exercising in amounts less than recommended. <clears throat> Measurements of perceived exertion can be used to modify both uh, cardiopulmonary and resistance exercise. Current data support uh, cardiopulmonary exercise more, and there are uh, insufficient data to support raising or using a primary method of exercise prescription. The Borg RPE scale has been used extensively and demonstrates moderately, or moderate to strong validity compared to the other measures of cardiopulmonary intensity, like percent of VO2 max or percent of heart rate max. The duration depends on the level of fitness of the individual and the intensity of the exercise. The usual duration when exercise is at 70% of maximum heart rate is 20 to 30 minutes at conditioning level. In the poorly conditioned individual, daily exercise as low as three to five minutes can bring about improvement. Uh, for the conditioned individual who prefers to exercise at higher intensities, duration of exercise may be reduced uh, to 10 to 15 minutes. The format of an exercise session, uh, there should be a warm-up phase before and a cool-down phase after the period of training. The warm-up period is usually at the lower intensity levels of exercise to be performed, gradually increasing to the prescribed intensity. In the cool-down phase period, um, there is a gradual reduction in exercise intensity to allow the uh, gradual redistribution of blood flow to the or from the extremities to other tissue and prevent sudden reduction in venous return, thereby reducing the possibility of post-exercise hypotension or even syncope. <clears throat> Some cardiac rehabilitation of uh, special groups to be considered. For arrhythmias, the standard telemetry should be monitored in the cardiac rehab program as noted phases of cardiac rehabilitation. Warm-up and cool-down periods decrease the frequency of arrhythmia by promoting coronary perfusion. Arrhythmias are frequently noted in patients with CHD after an MI or cabbage and are also associated with cardiomyopathy. After MI or cabbage, the presence of frequent premature uh, ventricular contractions or PVCs identifies patients at risk of developing ventricular tachycardia or sudden cardiac death. A patient with CHD uh, with reduced left ventricular ejection fraction and ventricular tachycardia are more prone to develop ventricular fibrillation. Uh, pharmacological management includes nitrates, beta blockers, and amiodarone. Ablative therapy or an implantable cardioverter uh, defibrillator can be considered for life-threatening ventricular tachycardia. The ICD decreases mortality by 31% in patients with non-sustained ventricular tachycardia after MI complicated by reduced ejection fraction compared with pharmacological management alone. Nearly 80% of patients with a history of ventricular arrhythmia will have a ventricular arrhythmia during inpatient cardiac rehabilitation. Life-threatening arrhythmias occur in 35% of patients. Patients with malignant ventricular arrhythmia minimally reduce ejection fraction and very good exercise tolerance are more likely to experience ventricular tachycardia or ventricular fibrillation during cardiac rehab than patients with very limited exercise capacity. Patients should decrease exercise intensity and increase exercise duration and frequency. Uh, target heart rate should be set at a level below which ventricular arrhythmias are noted, and the exercise stress test on antiarrhythmic medications is essential to screen for ventricular arrhythmia and to establish cardiac rehab parameters. For heart transplantation, for patients with end-stage heart disease not remedial by more conservative treatment, cardiac transplantation is the accepted form of therapy. An orthotopic heart transplantation consists of over 99% of all cardiac transplants. Orthotopic bicaval technique is the preferred method and makes up 75% uh, of OHTs or orthotopic heart transplants. The donor heart is excised with intact right atrium and long segment of the superior vena cava. The donor left atrium is sutured to the stump of the four pulmonary veins in the recipient. The superior and inferior vena cava are sutured to the recipient atrial cuff. The great arteries are anastomosed. For, there's also a heterotopic um, transplantation, which constitutes less than 1% of transplantations. Here, the recipient heart is left in place to assist the donor heart. Um, for the epidemiology for heart transplant, over 2,000 transplantations occur annually, including retransplantations. Survival rates are 90.7% in one year and 77% in five years. Um, the majority of transplants are between 50 to 66 or 64 years old. 
Um, males occur at about 68 to 74% of the total cases, and Caucasians are more likely with 65 to 75% total. The diagnosis of cardiac transplant patients are cardiomyopathy of 50%, coronary artery disease in 30%, and congenital heart disease in 10%. There's different transplant st recipient status as well. The status 1A, these patients are at the, uh, the top of the waiting list, include patients in the ICU on life support or high-dose IV medications to support their heart function and have had a ventricular assist device or a VAD, extracorporeal membrane oxygen or ECMO to support their heart function. Status 1B are these patients have end-state heart failure and are at home on a VAD or continuous IV heart medications like ionotropic medications that uh, makes the heartbeat stronger. In status 2, these patients that do not meet criteria for status 1A or 1B, often these patients are waiting at home for a donor heart and are taking oral um, heart failure medications. In status 7, these patients are temporarily inactive on the heart transplant waiting list. They include patients who develop an infection and cannot undergo transplant surgery, have left the area and cannot return within two hours, or insurance has changed and need a new authorization or loss of insurance coverage. The age range of transplant recipients is from newborn to the eighth decade of life. Uh, after transplantation, most patients report a favorable quality of life. Many patients return to work, school, or their uh, usual vocational activities. Typical cardiac transplant patients are middle-aged and have suffered months of preoperative deconditioning, general muscle, muscle weakness, depression, and anxiety, and a comprehensive rehab approach is necessary. Pre-transplant management of the patient includes a secondary prevention programs and exercise conditioning program. Any of the several model, models of left ventricular assist device or LVADs and IV inotropes sustain cardiac function and allow mobilization of these patients. The, sec, uh, the physiologic response after heart transplant uh, differs from that seen in the post-cabbage patient. The heart lacks vagal innervation, so there's no parasympathetic tone uh, from the body and consequently lacks vagal inhibition to the sinoatrial node. High resting heart rate due to parasympathetic denervation is seen as well as lower peak exercise heart rate. Resting hypertension is common, caused in part by the renal effects of the anti-rejection medications. There's a slow return to resting heart rate post-exercise. At maximum effort, the work capacity, cardiac output, systolic blood pressure, and the total oxygen consumption are uh, lower. And uh, pre-transplantation rehab strength training uh, may enhance preoperative and post-operative recovery. Uh, five and 10-year survival rate is about 85 and 75% respectively, and accelerated atherosclerosis occurs following uh, transplant. The exercise prescription, the standard heart rate guidelines are not used. Um, intensity in exercise is based on the following. So you'd have a Borg RPE of 11 to 14. Again, that 13 is... Um, a uh, very hard exercise, or uh, some, excuse me, a somewhat hard exercise is 13. You also have the percentage of VO2 max or maximum workload performed on stress test. Um, anaerobic threshold, duration, frequency, and types of exercise follow the same principles as those with other types of cardiac problems. And during exercise testing, heart transplant patients with cardiac ischemia do not present with typical symptoms of angina. Instead, EKG changes and other symptoms should be followed. The outcome is generally favorable. Uh, patients typically uh, report increased, um, increased work output and improved exercise tolerance. Then you have peripheral artery disease, um, PAD or PVD. PAD and CHD often coexist. PAD is present in up to 10 million people in the United States. In the United States as well, 20% of people over the age 70 are affected with PAD. Intermittent vascular claudication is a symptom of muscle pain, cramping, numbness, and or fatigue caused by vascular insufficiency from PAD. It is present in up to 40% of patients with PAD. The ankle brachial index is a ratio comparing systolic blood pressure at the ankle uh, to the brachial systolic blood pressure and is used to classify the severity of PAD. The ankle, um, ankle systolic and brachial systolic blood pressures can also be used, the, the ratio there. So PAD classification, normal is greater if you have an ABI of greater than one, mild would be 0.8 to one, Moderate would be 0.6 to 0.8, severe would be 0.4 to 0.6, and very severe is less than 0.4. So when considering an exercise prescription for PAD and intermittent claudication, training intensity that produces moderate claudication pain within the first five minutes of treadmill walking can be considered. The walking is interspersed with rest periods long enough for symptoms to subside. Exercise is continued in an exercise rest interval um, cycle to achieve the intensity and overall duration of a normal cardiac program. Exercise therapy and uh, 
peripheral arterial disease improves pain-free walking time by 189% and maximal walking time by 80 to 150% starting with uh, four weeks of exercise and benefit is maximized in 12, uh, 12 months. There's a 31% improvement in the ability to carry out ADLs and a 62% increase in physical activity. Mechanisms suggest to improve uh, walking distance and functional abilities include angiogenesis, enhanced collateral blood flow from inactive to active muscles, improved blood and plasma viscosity, increased endothelial dependent vasodilation, and increased oxidative capacity. Exercise improves peripheral arterial disease and walking economy by increasing biomechanical and metabolic efficiency. There are several uh, common major physical impairments that often exist with coronary artery disease. One of them is amputation, the atherosclerotic vascular disease that affects the cardiovascular system also predisposes these patients to limb loss like this vascular lower extremity amputation. There's a 75% coexistence of cardiovascular disease usually presenting as CHF or CAD in persons undergoing dysvascular amputation. Long-term follow-up of dysvascular amputees shows that CHD is the most common cause of death. Diabetes, in addition to causing accelerated atherosclerotic vascular disease, is a major risk factor for amputation. It has been estimated that 50 to 70% of all amputations are the result of complications from diabetes. Prosthetic ambulation is more energy consuming than normal ambulation, and the higher the level of amputation, the more energy consumption is required for uh, per unit distance traveled. Amputees compensate by walking at slower speeds in order to keep the rate of energy expenditure stable. For similar walking speeds, 25% more energy is uh, acquired to walk with below, uh, below knee prosthesis, 40% for bilateral below knee prosthesis, 65% for an above knee prosthesis, and 100% for bilateral above knee prosthesis. Now that's a little bit different than the one that went over in, physic or in the, in the um, amputee section, so you might want to compare those or look at those as well. The energy cost of ambulation for the amputee is based on percent, uh, percentage increase above the cost of normal ambulation at three mets. So for example, with no prosthesis and with crush, crutches, there's about a 50% increase to four and a half mets. For um, unilateral BK with prosthesis up to 28% um, and all the way up to hemipelvectomy with prosthesis up to 125%. Now again, that's, that's something to be considered. Um, and even in those numbers that previously stated where it said 100% for bilateral above knee prosthetic devices, in a chart here on page 704, it also shows a bilateral AK with prosthesis up to 280%. So there's some varying discrepancies there as well. Amputee exercise stress test. <clears throat> Upper extremity cycle ergometer stress test. It may be first to determine the safety and ability um, of mobility. Pharmacological stress testing with, uh, using diparametable uh, for patients who are unable to perform exercise and telemetry monitoring of ambulation training for pre-prosthetic uh, pro, uh, prosthetic and post-prosthetic periods. Stroke. Um, according to the medical literature, as much as 77% of stroke patients have some form of coexisting cardiac disease. The risk of stroke is doubled in an individual who has uh, CAD. CAD accounts for the majority of subsequent health or subsequent deaths among stroke survivors. Acute dis, uh, cardiovascular patients or excuse me, acute cardiovascular events such as acute MI or cabbage may be complicated by an acute stroke that occurs concomitantly. A study in 1998 showed the overall incidence of cardiac complications 27 to 34% during inpatient rehab. The incidence was higher in patients with known coronary artery disease. The complications include hypertension, angina, MI, CHF, and cardiac arrhythmias. Stroke and atrial fibrillation. The prevalence of AFib is approximately 1% in the general population and 5.9% in those greater than 65 years old. Uh, AFib is present in 15 to 21% of patients with stroke. Chronic stable AFib increases the risk of stroke fivefold. Prevention of embolic stroke is best achieved by long-term anticoagulation with warfarin. If risk of hemorrhage is high, 325 milligrams of aspirin may be used as an alternative in patients with non-valvular AFib. Aspirin is much less effective than warfarin in preventing embolism. And the 96 Copenhagen stroke study measured the consequences of stroke with AFib compared to those with sinus rhythm and demonstrated markedly poor neurological and functional outcomes, higher mortality rates, longer hospital stays, lower discharge rates to home, poor outcome exclusively explained by initially more severe strokes, and these results stress the importance of anticoagulant treatment of patients with AFib. Stroke exercise testing modality, uh, treadmill ambulation, um, if it can be tolerated, stationary bike leg ergometer modified by uh, for involved leg with an ASRAP, Portable leg ergometer that allows for seating in a wheelchair or armchair. Arm ergometer modified for involved hand or using uh, one-handed arm ergometer. 
telemetry monitoring of level surface ambulation or general conditioning diseases. Hemiplegic ambulation compared to normal ambulation shows a speed reduction of uh, 40 to 45% slower and an energy cost of 50 to 65% higher. Cardiovascular conditioning for the physically impaired, there's uh, several choices of modalities used for assessment depends on the number of variables. Upper extremity cyclorgometer may be used for impaired lower extremity with normal upper extremity. Um, air dyne arm, like a leg cyclorgometer for lower extremity weakness. Hemiparetic with a strap, the, you can strap the affected extremity to the foot or the pedal and the handle or bar. And a wheelchair bound, you can consider extra wide treadmills uh, that can accommodate a wheelchair. When evaluating for return to employment, several things need to be considered, like evaluation of the patient, evaluation of the job, matching the patient and the job, and other considerations. When evaluating the patient, you want to uh, use clinical evaluation to determine functional cardiac classification. Again, going back to the NYHA classes, class 1 can perform over 7 METs, class 2 between 5 and 7, class 3 between 2 and 5, and class 4 less than 2. Uh, functional stress, exercise stress tests can also be considered, and recommendations are made based on the maximum workload performance. Seven months or greater can return to work at most jobs in the United States. Five to seven can return to sedentary job or household chores, and three to four may not be suitable to return to employment. Evaluation of the job, the uh, physical task performed needs to be considered as well. Uh, the Department of Labor defines physical exertion requirements that are used in disability determinations. Sedentary work would be considered lifting no more than 10 pounds at walking or standing uh, occasionally. Light work would be lifting no more than 20 pounds with fair amount of walking or standing. Medium work would be lifting no more than 50 pounds and frequent carrying up to 25 pounds. Heavy work would be lifting no more than 100 pounds and frequent carrying up to 50 pounds. And very heavy lifting would be more than 100 pounds and carrying more than 50 pounds. Um, these are according to the socialsecurity.gov website. Uh, you also want to consider environmental conditions at areas of work. Temperature and humidity. Hot and humid environments can uh, increase the energy cost of work by two to three times. Air pollution, high altitude, motivation and emotional attitude of patients, transportation to and from work, and household chores after work can be considered as well. Uh, third, you want to consider matching the patient and the job, matching the cardiac functional class and or result of stress test to the requirement of the job with stimulated job market or uh, job monitoring and monitoring the actual tasks at the job site. And additional uh, conditions to consider include emotional disorders, alcoholism, financial compensation and security gain, retirement age, legal aspect, uh, strenuous job requirements, patient motivation. Moving on to the American Heart Association uh, diet, there's a step one diet and a step two diet. The step one diet is eight to 10% of the, of the day's total calories are from saturated fats and 30% or less for the day's total calories from fats in general. Uh, less than 300 milligrams of dietary cholesterol a day and just enough calories to achieve a ma uh, and maintain a, a healthy weight. Step two diet, consider the step two diet if you, have no, if you do not lower your cholesterol enough on a step one diet or if you're at high risk of heart disease or already have heart disease. Uh, you'd have less than 7% of your day's total calories from saturated fat and 30% or less of your day's calories from fat um, and less than 200 milligrams of dietary cholesterol a day and just enough calories to achieve and maintain a healthy weight. Uh, a lot of these studies, uh, recent studies have gone away from this and a lot of the fad diets have gone away from this as well. Um, I don't know what would be tested on at this point. Benefits derived from long-term outpatient cardiac rehab include increased oxygen extraction and wider AVO2 difference. Skeletal muscles take up more oxygen from entering blood supply uh, so that the venous return carries less back to the heart. The heart overall is doing less work to bring adequate oxygen to the tissue. Improved utilization of oxygen by active muscles results from increased oxidative enzymes and a number of myochondria in the muscles. Increased maximal oxygen consumption or VO2 max or aerobic exercise and physical work capacity can also be seen, as well as the conditioned patient that generally has a slower pulse, a lower blood pressure, and a lower resting uh, RRP um, or RPP, because RPP is a good indicator of the myocardial oxygen demand. Uh, trained cardiac patients function at a lower myocardial oxygen demand. This results in a decreased maximum oxygen demand at rest and a submaximal workload, and any submaximal workload. Thus, an angina patient may be able to may be below the thre angina threshold in daily life and is able to perform certain activities without angina or silent ischemia. Increased cardiac output at maximum exercise can also be seen. Cardiac output remains the same at rest and at submaximal exercise. Uh, again, cardiac out output is a heart rate times the stroke volume, and the Fick equation is the VO2 max is equal to the heart rate times the stroke volume times the AVO2 difference. 
Therefore, uh, the VO2 max is equal to the cardiac output times the AVO2 difference. Increased stroke volume at rest, as well as submaximal and maximal levels of work can be seen. Uh, this increase is due mostly in combination to uh, increases in blood volume and prolonged diastolic filling times. Exercise training combined with intensive dietary intervention with and without lipid-lowering drugs results in regression or limitation of progression documented coronary a progression of documented coronary atherosclerosis on angiography. Uh, decreased myocardial ischemia is measured by exercise, EKG, and radionuclide uh, perfusion imaging, um, as well as no apparent effect on development of coronary collateral circulation and produces no consistent changes in cardiac hemodynamic measurement at cardiac catheterization. Uh, lastly, exercise training in patients with heart failure and decreased vent uh, ventricular systolic function results in a documented improvement in functional capacity. The data reinforce that the favorable uh, training effects in these patients are due predominantly to adaption or adaptation in the peripheral circulation and skeletal muscles rather than ad um, adaptation in the cardiac musculature. And that will end our review of cardiac rehab.